Okay, everybody, welcome to the very first podcast, Jeff Mara Podcast. I'm here with an old friend of mine that is a radio DJ for, I don't know, at least 20 years. He's also, I would you, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the program director. I don't know what else he does. I'm assuming that the program director is the guy who decides what music is played on the actual air, as well as, um, you know, he's a musician. He goes to concerts a lot, and I'm, you know, and probably has to do with. I'm not sure what the right word is, but you know, when they have to meet with the with bands and concerts and interview people. So who else better than to ask? You know, what is the state of the music business? And um, and the reason I thought of this, and maybe you can expand on this too, is you know, uh, is that you know, my wife and I were talking the other day, and we were saying that you don't really see bands anymore. So there's no inf- inspiration for kids to want to pick up an instrument, learn how to play because you just got like a American idol, you've got a pop singer and you've got a rapper, but you don't, there's never really a musician showcased anymore. Yeah. You know, um, I think everything is cylindrical. Um, I think it's, uh, it's market specific. Uh, San Antonio is long known as what the heavy metal capital of the world or something like that. Uh, and there was a day and age where there were, you know, a handful of clubs down on St. Mary's and, uh, and, uh, you know, sneakers, of course, and, and nightclubs that could sustain and make a living and bring in money with rock bands. Well, unfortunately, you're right. I think the audiences kind of dwindle a little bit. If you take a look at, you know, who's consuming music and how they're consuming it, all that is entirely changed. So the business model on the records company side of things and on the artist side of things is completely changed. Um, but all that being said, you know, rock and roll will never die. And, uh, there is a really healthy bunch of bands that are out there and doing quite well for the genre, right? We've seen the explosion over the span of the last three years of bands like Greta Van Fleet or, uh, Dirty Honey that harken back to more of a blues based Led Zeppelin esque, uh, you know, style of, uh, raw organic music coming out. You know, for a long time um, on American rock radio, it had become uh, so distilled that it sounded like one giant disturbed or Metallica song on the radio. And I, I always felt that that was a dangerous spot for radio to be in because it became um, fatiguing to listen to for long spans of time. Um, not that there weren't a lot of great bands that came out of that and some still doing well, like the aforementioned Disturbed. But I like the organic feel of, uh, you know, bringing back some of the Greta Van Fleets and young kids, right? The guys in Greta Van Fleet, um, when the record came out, were all still in their teens and early 20s and grew up with families that nurtured uh, music exploration and, and, and from a, an historical perspective, you know, they hung out and listened to their mom and dad's vinyl that were, you know, Buddy Guy and, you know, and some of these Memphis you know, city blues and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, I, I think that, uh, that rock is still healthy. Um, and it depends on what market you go to. Um, I lived in Lubbock, Texas, up in West Texas for a short spell and it wasn't on any major interstate. Um, but because it was a farming community and a very blue collar community, uh, we got a lot of really big shows there, hmm. you know. Um, it, here in Reno, where I currently currently live, we're right off I eighty, and the casinos um, 
outbid and outspend some of the small promoters who take a big risk on bringing you know up and coming bands to town. So even though we're on I eighty, we don't see a uh, a whole heck of a ton of uh, concerts and live shows in the rock genre coming through here. Hmm. Um, country is probably country and pop artists are still, you know, the biggest selling genres of music that are out there. Uh, they just appeal to a much larger, you know, group of people. So now let me ask you this. Was I correct in saying that the program director is the guy who chooses the music? Yes. Program director, the, the title has morphed to brand manager for a lot of radio stations. Um, and as a program director, you know, the music is probably 20% of what a, a program director would do on a day-to-day basis. Not only are you responsible for the, for the music that's on the station, but really the overall sound, everything that's in between the songs, all of the personalities that uh, that are still on the air and creating compelling, interesting, funny, whatever content, mm-hmm. uh, and trying. It, it depends on what market you you go to. Um, not to slight the guys, the big dogs at uh, Cumulus or Intercom or iHeartMedia, um, but in a lot of situations and in a lot of cities across the country, when you have an iHeart radio station, you're listening to a, a DJ, a jock, who is in Los Angeles or New York or Vegas or Phoenix or, you know, Chicago, one of these big markets who are throwing out voice tracks is what they call it for a number of other radio stations across the country. There are still a handful of mom and pop radio operators who their first and foremost responsibility. And the reason why we were all granted FCC licenses is to serve the public interest first and foremost. And I think it's really difficult to do that when every personality on the radio station is not in that market. How do you serve the market if there's nobody on the air that is in that market, oh, yeah. right? Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and there's, you know, uh, to give you a little peek behind the Iron Curtain, there are corporate playlists that a lot of these radio stations get sent out where a program director, they have no control over a music log or choosing what music to play. They are served it once a week and here's your next seven days of music and you put it in and you're responsible for more of a management thing and for crafting the sound of what is in between the music and... uh and the role of a DJ has expanded to be more of a, um, uh, uh, an editorial, um, uh, somebody who has great writing skills and can approach it from um, a writing background is, is going to be set up to actually have a job because a DJ has to not only do a great show on the air, but also has to now be responsible for curating great content for radio station websites in the form of blogs or ideas or Facebook live videos or stuff like that, you know? So it's not, it's no longer just talking between records, right? Right. Yeah. And it's funny. You, you actually hit the point where my next question was going to be. And I think a lot of people wonder, uh, is especially on pop radio. I mean, it literally seems like it's like the same 10 to 20 songs over and over again. I mean, you can, I can get in my car, I can go somewhere and on the way there, hear this song. And then I get there, I go to shopping at the grocery store, I get out and then that song rolls right back up in the rotation. And um, I was wondering, 
you know, who is making these decisions? And then obviously maybe it sounds like it's a corporate decision. And then on the, if you go even deeper from the corporate decision, who in the corporation, you know, how are they deciding these 20 songs and, you know, where are they, are they like reading like the top 10 songs off like uh whatever, like, you know, the top 10 songs on the chart? Where are they, where are they picking these songs from? You know, I don't program a CHR or a pop radio station in, in, in my city uh, or in the other cities that I work with. And I work in Oklahoma and Kansas and uh, Hawaii, Hawaii. And uh, I've worked in Alaska for quite a while remotely, uh, uh, California Central Coast. Um, there's a big difference in the audience that uh, different formats attract. And there are two metrics that uh, advertisers buy and that we formulate ratings points. So how much audience can an advertiser reach by you know, their money spend on a radio station? And the two metrics are QM and TSL. QM is the number of people that are listening at any particular time. And TSL is time spent listening. How long are they spending with your product? Well, as the age group goes a little younger, I tend to target a 25 to 54 year old uh, individual. And some of these pop stations target an 18 to 34 or 18 to 49 year old or a soccer mom, um, you know, where their interaction with radio is going to be in a 15 minute to 30 minute stint, maybe, maybe an hour while they're taking the kids to school or they're going, like you say, grocery shopping. And so for these pop formats, they want to make sure that they're playing the most familiar, most catchy songs uh, as often as possible because they, they're, not, they're not concerned about listeners listening for four and a half or five hours in a stretch. Right. You know, in a rock format, people have it on in the background as they're cleaning the house. It's motivational music to clean the house or working on their car or barbecuing or working or, you know, they, it's, it's more of a lifestyle choice for them right and because of that we can't play the same song every hour and 15 minutes mm -hmm. so you look at a current song that is in a power rotation at a rock station and it's going to get played 30 to maybe on the high end 40 times a week right on the very very high end right you look at a country station or a pop station and it's going to get played 90 to 120 times a week Right. So do the math. How many hours in the day? How many days in the week? Yeah, those songs are being played every hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, if not more often than that. Okay. That's very interesting. I didn't think about that, you know. Yeah. Um, even, you know, I, like I said, and I don't, I don't want to be seem like I'm nitpicking you personally. I, you know, and obviously I don't even know what you play at your station because I'm not in the same city. And I could just say, even here where I'm at in San Antonio, <laughs> even what you, I guess they would call the classic rock station, mm -hmm. still plays the same classic rock hits. And you're kind of like, all right, come on. You know, I don't know, whoever. Iron Maiden has a lot more cooler songs than just this this one song that just they always. The <laughs> yeah, like that. They don't, like they still like, I feel like they have a set list that they even classic rock kind of adheres to. But I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe it's just, I mean, it sounds, it all makes sense that they're, if you're only going to catch someone for a certain amount of time and you want to keep them there to maximize, you know, what, what the advertisers get. But here's Ultimately, in this day and age, uh, if somebody wants to hear John Prine, for example, 
They can pull up John Prine on their phone or Monty Montgomery or, you know, um, a, you know, a Willie Nelson track or what have you, or they want to listen to, um, uh, Jermaker or maybe a deeper song from Led Zeppelin. They have all that available on platforms like Spotify or Pandora or what have you. For commercial radio, it's our responsibility to uh, to play the fewest number of songs that appeal to the greatest number of people. Right. 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 There are there are listeners who are music fans and uh, and and will go out and buy a whole album or download a whole album or when we were younger would go out and get the new Queens Reich album and listen to every single song on it repeatedly. Right. And other people who just knew walk in the shadows right. and they didn't care about going out and purchasing music. They were, they weren't musicians, you know, they, they weren't that closely invested to the music. It, it, uh, it wasn't as much of a real part of our lifestyle as, as, as we are. But today, if you want that, you can get it elsewhere, you know? So we have on commercial radio have to play, the fewest number of songs to the greatest number of people. Right. And so we spend $80,000 plus a year asking people through research studies, you know, here's 650 songs, you know, and what do you think of this? Are you tired of hearing it? Are you familiar with it? Do you like it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Right. You know, we rate those factors based on burn familiarity and, and net positives and net negatives and all that stuff. To, cure, to put a, a line on something on a spreadsheet and go, okay, 650 songs, can't play all of them. Where do you draw the line? Okay, the line is at uh, 320. What are the best 320 songs that we can play for this radio station so that there are less WTF moments? And I'll yeah. keep this clean, but right, yeah. you listen to the radio and you go, what the hell was that? Boom. Yeah. You punch the channel to somebody else who is playing. You know, if, if you're going to p- play back in black, Mm-hmm. And you're going to play, I don't know, uh, Flight of Icarus is probably not a great example, but, you know, to the casual listener, you put both of those on, you know, on for them. How many people are going to go back in black, ACDC? I love that one. And how many people are going to go, that is Iron, an obscure Iron Man. Who is that band even, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You And you asked a question earlier about, who makes the choices? Who are the gatekeepers? Yes. And how are they getting their information? Well, nobody's got a gun to anybody's head saying you have to play such and such, right? Right. As right. far as the gatekeepers are concerned. The gatekeepers are telling all the other minions, yeah, you have to play this with their corporate playlist. Um, but for me personally, I use a whole lot of different metrics. I take a look at you know, consumption. What is, you know, uh, what's streaming? And what's streaming not only nationwide, but what's streaming right here in Reno? And I have access to look at that through a number of different things. Uh, how many people are downloading songs? Do they have 3 million views of a video on YouTube? And I have just discovered this band. Uh, and then how many promotions people, you know, people who are hired to talk about this music and to try and make me more familiar with it or get it on my radar, how many people are talking about it? If I, uh, you know, if I hear... Uh, from four different people and they all say, what do you think about the bad wolves? They're all saying the same thing. Then I go, Oh wow. Well, they've got a lot of money behind them. They've the, 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 you know, the record company or whatever has spent a lot of money to hire these promotions. People they're serious about this project. Um, what do the metrics look like? Are people reacting to this where it is getting exposure and does it make sense for my market? 
And then I'll go, oh, that's cool. Let's play that or it's not. And there's also situations where I hear something where I'm not getting anybody calling me on it. And, uh, and it's not downloading. It's completely off the radar. But I think it's a great song. And I think it'll fit the texture of the radio station. And I'll put that in and start playing that. It doesn't happen often, but I'm fortunate to work for one of these small mom-and-pop broadcasters who want us to have a lot of autonomy and also make sure that we're producing a product for our local um, you know, listeners. Yeah. We don't care about what's going on in Vegas. We have stations in Vegas, and it could be very easy for one person in Vegas to tell us what to play in Reno or up in Boise or in Fresno or in Tucson. Right. But my company believes in serving the public in- interest and each radio station ha- having enough autonomy that, that they can do that successfully. Do you think it's ever, do you think it's, I mean, obviously anything's possible, but do you think it's probable that someone will ever have a show? I think it used to be here, and you're probably familiar with it, the old Joe Anthony show, where like on a certain night, he would just introduce, you know, his favorite new bands, new music, like, and people would just tune in for this guy's show, or is, is like just entertainment so competitive now that people may not even wouldn't tune in onto the radio to hear this guy's new, you know, show like, you know, like the old school Wolfman Jack or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think it's highly unlikely that that could occur again. I think that, that there's different uh, machinations of that, that you see with a Spotify, a Spotify playlist that an individual has put together mm-hmm. um, that might have a lot of new stuff that you've never heard of before. And there are some pretty you know, successful and, and even some radio programmers, current and former radio programmers that have their own Spotify playlists that are up there to discover that. Um, for me, you know, I'll occasionally just jump on Facebook and say, hey, um, to my friends, what are you digging right now? And what are you listening to expose, you know, turn me on to something new and I'll have 60 or 70 comments and a lot of artists, bands that I've never even heard of before. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's happening. It's just not in the old traditional way, but back, back in, you know, in the Joe Anthony days, all we had was a radio in our car and we hung out and just cruised up and down Southwest military or whatever, or cranked up the radio at home, you know, um, I crank up the Alexa at home now, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then I tell her what I want to hear. And she plays, you know, the, the playlist either based around the genre or the artist. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's happening. It's just different now. Let me ask you, this is another thing I think I would, I'm curious about, and probably a lot of people be curious about us. Uh, you know, how does the radio metrics of determining how many listeners are, are even actually listening, you know, and you'll hear like guys shows that maybe, especially I think more on talk radio or on sports talk radio, like some guys show will get canned because he's not getting enough, you know, maybe he's not, the ratings aren't good enough or whatever. So, you know, how can a radio, unless maybe now a digital radio, but before that, how could they even, you know, besides, I guess, just literally calling people and we don't know how accurate that is. How do they even know how many people are even listening? Yeah, I have to sit on a beach for this one because yeah. it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> frankly, um, the the way of measuring that is archaic at best in most cities. In the top 50, 60, maybe 70 uh, market size cities in the country, there's something called the PPM, the Personal People Meter, uh, which uh, looks like a pager, you know, a little device that you put on your on your waistband. And you carry around with you throughout the day. And this device picks up on uh, watermarks in songs 
to tell the device what the radio station is, what song they might be listening to, just like you can use SoundHound on your phone, right? Hmm. Um, it's always listening and, and, and picks up on that. And then at night, they take that little pager and they put it into a dock. And that dock is the pager feeds the dock through your internet connection back to Nielsen, mm -hmm. what you've been listening to. And they, you know, they've got 800 or a thousand people who've got these little pagers and they wear the pagers for a couple of weeks at a time. And they, you know, curate all of that information to release ratings to try and let people know. Here's the flaw in that. You go into a 7-Eleven, you go into a Kohl's department store and they've got on Muzak or whatever, or, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it could be, you know, what I would want as an advertiser is an active listener, not a passive listener, not somebody who's just listening in the background because your message is never going to be heard. Right. Right. So to me, there's a problem with the way that they've set that up. Now in the smaller markets, we're still doing, uh, when I say it's archaic, we're still doing something called diaries where a family will get a diary. This is not a diary, by the way. It's, uh, it's just a piece of paper. But, uh, and it'll say, you know, they'll, they'll get the diaries on a, on a Wednesday and it'll say from Thursday through the following Wednesday, write down what you've listened to during the day. Okay. Cool idea. Somebody gets a diary. They're also given like $2 or 5 bucks or whatever to participate. And so Thursday, they're ready to rock. They wake up in the morning. They fill out their diary. Like, okay, today. So I listen from, you know, 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. to my favorite morning show. And, you know, and then at lunch, I did this. And, and then uh, at night, they fill out the rest of the diary. And then Friday, they kind of skip out a little bit. And because they always listen to this morning show between 7.30 and 8.30 on their morning commute, they're going to write that down. And then Saturday, Sunday, they kind of space on a little bit. And then Monday, they're like, oh, that diary thing. I got So I got to remember, what did I listen to or what did I think I listened to? And then they write that down. And then, you know, Monday, you know, they ask their kid, hey, will you fill this out for me? This is getting a little arduous. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Wednesday, they take that diary that maybe their 18-year-old son filled out when the diary says it's a 42-year-old male that makes, you know, $90,000 a year, but the 18-year-old son is filling out, oh, I listen to the hip-hop station. And yeah. they take that diary and they mail it in. Yeah. And then all these diaries come in and they go, oh, well, uh, and, and then some people will just get lazy and they go, oh, all I ever listen to is X radio station and I listen to them for eight hours in a day because yeah. it's always on in the background. Well, then all of a sudden, that radio station has got huge ratings that aren't necessarily realistic, right? Right. So it's yeah. all relatively archaic. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, before I shift gears here, do you have and are you willing to share any secrets of the radio business? I don't know that there are a whole hell of a lot of secrets, to be honest with you. Right. You know, um, I think that uh, there are smart artists who uh, form a relationship with the program directors and uh, will come in and, and do a radio show or a, you know, something for the radio station. And those artists might uh, exchange a cell phone number with someone in, you know, in my position and continue a relationship there. And that gives them a little bit of a nudge when the, the next thing they have to release comes out, You'll, they'll score a brownie point on that. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know that there are, any real secrets. There's certainly not one big bad boogeyman that's, that's out there, but I am worried about consolidation and the fact that, uh, you know, big media conglomerates can own, you know, uh, 
billboard and uh, you know uh, the entertainment, the you know the concerts and the ticketing, everything from Ticketmaster to Live Nation concerts, and you know and 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 all that be under the umbrella of an iHeart Media. Right. I think that's way too much control, um, and that that scares me uh, for music in general, and also for the fans because it's it's a very monopolistic. Do you think that payola still exists, maybe on the corporate level? Good question. I I, I don't know. Um, I, there's been a lot of talk of quid pro quo with the whole you know Trump thing as of late. Um, I I I suspect that some quid pro quo may or or may may not exist out there. I don't operate under uh, under that. You know, the music that I put on in a radio station, I do it because the metrics to make sense. The sound of the song makes sense, and that's all great. Now, occasionally, will they have marketing dollars to be able to, you know, support the airplay when they're getting airplay in a in a market and do something called like a time buy, where it's a thirty second commercial saying, "Hey, you know, the new Black Moods album is out now. It's called Sunshine. Go, you know, download it or find it wherever you buy music." Then um, that's great. Or you know, uh, will they want to purchase, you know, a uh, hundred T shirts that have you know, their band's logo on it and the radio station logo on it. You want to do that? That's awesome. That's great. Mm -hmm. But it's not a tit for tat or a quid pro quo in that regard. Yeah. I was wondering if it like, just like maybe like, you know, and I think they've changed it now on the medical business, but you know, the drug reps. Oh God. Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they could, you know, take doctors out to nice dinners and vacations. And I don't know what it, I don't know what it is today. I think it's, they've kind of cracked down on it at least some, so if it's at a corporate level, like if you had a some corporation that owned 20, 30 stations across the nation, maybe even more, and maybe they had even several artists, a music, you know, maybe say a music, uh, you know, a music label had several artists and, you know, they just sent their salespeople out there <laughs> to, you know, kind of butter up all the, all the, or maybe it's just one guy, like you said, one corporate guy that gives the playlist to the entire, all the stations. Then you only have to yeah. butter up one dude and, you know, take them on a nice vacation to Hawaii and talk about their <laughs> new, their new labels, you know, their new thing, you know, whatever, just to kind of get in the door. I could, I could see that happening. I sure. don't, I'm not in the business. I mean, I don't know if it does happening. I'm sure that there's some probably legal ways to, legal ways for that to happen so people wouldn't get in trouble. Like I, you know, like I said, some kind of advertising expense, or that's even a great way. Just as you said, is like, you know, if you play our ten artists, we're gonna we're gonna go back and buy advertising for this artist on your stations. Yeah, we're gonna spend a lot of money in return on your stations. Again, to me, that's kind of putting the cart in front of the horse. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't make good business sense to me. Um, and, and it certainly won't help my product to put something on based on a factor other than is it, is it the right thing to do for my radio station, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I just maybe my, my thinking is some people in the in the higher positions, it's all money for them. It doesn't really matter. Kind of like that movie. You remember the movie The Wonders? No, you never, you never saw that movie, The Wonders. Oh, it's a good. I don't movie. watch a lot of movies. Oh, it's a great movie to watch. Tom Hanks in it, and the and like the one hit wonder band. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. I know, I know which one you're talking about. And you know what? We might have seen that. I'm, I'm gonna write that down, and and I'll. I'll know if I've seen it within the first three minutes. The and there's a scene in the movie where they're finally meeting like the owner of the label, 
right? And, you know, and, and the owner of the label and they're like, there's food and whatever. And one of the guys in the band starts talking to him and he's like, what is this guy talking me for? It's obviously to me, it appears that like he could care less about the music, the artist or anything. It's just about, you know, putting an investment and returning on the investment. So, and it was ripe <laughs> back in the uh, back in the you know forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, even into the eighties to a large extent. And uh, you know, and uh, Elliot Spitzer, uh, Attorney General at the time, you know, cr- cracked down. There was a big investigation, and you know, we all sign affidavits now that uh, go out to Universal Music and the, the big music companies saying, "Hey, look, you know, we have not received anything, uh, any good or service." Mm-hmm. in exchange for playing of uh, of a said artist, right? But it used to happen mm-hmm. a lot, and right. primarily in pop formats um, to a degree, I'm sure, in country formats, but pop was kind of at the at the, the target of that. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, and anyways, and I heard this before. I don't know where I heard it from, but they said, and it's kind of the same thing, but a different platform, but television... It's just, you know, like whatever, whatever kind of information or entertainment just to get you to the commercials. It was like, it was, as oh, yeah. if, it's all about the commercials, all the stuff in between, who cares? It's just, yeah. that's just stuff in between just to get you to the, what's important is the commercials. Well, that's true. You know, ultimately we that's, are a business that needs to, yeah, <laughs> that needs exactly. to make money. Right. You know, if uh, and I, I feel very envious for folks that work in public radio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because all of their money comes from grants and comes from, you know, uh, sponsorships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and they don't have to worry about ratings yeah. either. Right. Yeah. So there are some excellent NPR stations, uh, on the planet, uh, KXEP or KEXP. Mm-hmm. One of the two in Seattle is a shining example of that. Uh, there's a station that my buddy Willoughby Carlin uh, operates out of Denver, Colorado, that is excellent at that. And he's got a playlist of, you know, 80 or 90 new songs at any given time, you know, where mine is uh, about 17 at any given time, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of leads me into the direction of, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people, especially musicians, actors, or whatever, that's purely about their art, what, you know, writing songs. They don't really, I mean, yes, they want to get money, rich and famous, but all their focus is on on the art end and don't really you know they don't really get into the business end of it and um and there has to be obviously a balance yeah and um interestingly and i think you even said it you know i don't i can't quote you anymore and it was a while ago and i don't remember the exact quote but it was something like you know the music business was something like (laughs) writing songs and becoming poor or (laughs) i can't remember i wish i could remember what the quote was but we were talking about it it's just like you know it's just so you know obviously the music business is so difficult these days because of file sharing and yeah. music sales has got to be you know way down the drain it's all you know there most of your money is either in performance uh, product merchandising. merchandising product endorsement now it's like yeah. i was reading today that not only now they're trying to do stuff like um 
where artists can text message people for a certain amount of money or something like that. And now I think, you know, some of the celebrities are like giving people happy birthday wishes and yeah. Look at the paid meet and greets, right? I mean, they, they need to do something to sustain their business model. And uh, you know, while uh, there's something in that that rubs me the wrong way, uh, because a lot of fans don't have millions of dollars and can't afford 150 bucks for 75 bucks for a VIP meet and greet. I do understand the artist side of things that you know their business uh, is is dwindling and they're having a tougher time you know bringing in revenue. Look, ultimately, the writing and release of an album of songs is only done to give the artist an excuse to go out on the road and have something to uh, to promote. And something to market and merchandise, right? Right. Um, a hit song will help garner more exposure right. for the artist, but it's really about just giving them a reason to go out there. And you know that's why you'll you'll hear an album that has twelve tracks on it, but only three of them are amazing, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, right. Uh, and I, I've got a lot of respect for artists like uh, like Taylor Swift, um, who writes all of her own material. I've got a lot of respect for Nashville as a whole because, uh, and, and the country music genre as a whole because of the songwriting and the storytelling that's there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. You know, what's interesting I heard is, which I kind of really like, is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, ticket companies will buy up all the tickets and then jack the prices. I think that's kind of yeah. the way it works, right? Ticketmaster, whoever. But I think what Taylor <laughs> Swift has done recently as instead of, she just jacked up her prices really high from the get-go. So they can't make any money buying the tickets and going higher. Yeah. And it, which it, made a either lot way, sense. the fans are screwed, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't understand that, uh, that business model. I mean, I, um, I would rather have an affordable ticket and have, you know, 10,000 people there than have a very expensive show to produce, have an expensive ticket, and be worried about having a half full arena. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what advice do you have for new bands these days? Like, you know, I'm sure you meet a lot of bands. I'm sure you're probably you, at some point you were approached by local bands, you know, say, Hey, yeah. can you get my music on the radio? And, and, um, you know, I, from what I've heard before, it's a better for a band to get on the radio and do an interview than do a concert because actually their interview on the radio will reach a lot more people than it would actually performing. Yeah. Um, My advice would be uh, number one, don't sign a record deal. Interesting. Don't sign a record deal. Why is that? Um, uh, Because that's somebody else who's taken a big part of your pie. Here's what a record deal essentially is. It's a, uh, it is a, very high intellectual interest loan on all of your future creations. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's a very high interest loan. And, and once you're in one, um, if the A&R guy says, I don't hear a single as Tom Petty would say, mm-hmm. then they'll hold you to that record contract and not let you allow, they won't allow you to release more material or you can release all you want, but they won't promote it at all. And they'll just drive you crazy in hopes that the band will break up and you'll just wear out the rest of the time that you were that you spent on that label, right? right? So don't sign a record deal until you're ready and it's the right deal and it's people you trust and you have a great entertainment lawyer look over it. And the second thing is always protect your publishing. 
whatever deal you might sign, you should you should always have ninety nine percent of your publishing, right? If you can have a deal where you have a hundred percent of your publishing, then great. You know, the three sixty deals can be uh, a great influx of cash at the beginning. But uh, uh, do you know what a three sixty deal is? No, I don't. A three sixty deal is where the record company. Um, gives you a, a lot more money uh, up in advance, but then all of a sudden the record company takes a share of every T-shirt you sell and every concert you play and every download that somebody you know purchases online. It, they they have a 360 control on the entire beast, right? It's like having uh, it's it's like paying off the mob to protect your store, right? Right? Like what what's the sense in that? So as the artist. There has never been a better time um, with technology the way that it is to get your message or your art out to a large number of people if it's done in the right way and it's done in the smart way. And the old adage of the cream always rises to the top is stands to hold true in most scenarios, right? So if you really have something that's good and you can get it out to enough people and they agree, they will share that. And it will, you know, help uh, help image you and 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 get your get the the awareness out there, right? Right. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So either you know, it's probably I'm guessing like if you are a band or a musician, you know, you build your following now. You can build it on YouTube, Twitch, uh, yeah. you know, live streaming. Uh, maybe now you can now Facebook Live is a new big thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know, singing your songs there will get it will get you enough momentum, enough traffic that hopefully someone in your position would, would happen to, you know, take a notice and then maybe put it on the air. Well, and that's, uh, you know, the most recent example of something like that is the band dirty honey. They had a great manager and, uh, no record deal and put a, a couple of great songs out there and, uh, that fit the texture of the radio station and, and radio, Came, came through and started playing the songs and, and gave them a couple of number one singles, right? Mm-hmm. And there's bands like uh, a band called Adelita's Way out of Las Vegas. Uh, Rick DeSeuss um, had a big record deal with Virgin Records back in the day. Um, they didn't really see eye to eye, eye to eye. And Rick was able to get out of his deal, hang on to 100% of his publishing, mm-hmm. and continue to release music on his own terms, what he wanted to release without a record label person saying, no, it has to be more poppy, or it has to be more catchy, or it has to be more this. Mm-hmm. Rick is now in control of all of his intellectual property and is making hundreds of thousands of dollars annually mm-hmm. by controlling what he does. There's also another guy, a guy named Shim Moore, uh, was a singer for the Sick Puppies. And the Sick Puppies, uh, it was a really shady deal, but basically three-piece band, the bass player and the drummer decided with a rogue manager to kick Shim out of the band that Shim started, right? Mm. And continue on to Sick Puppies without Shim. Well, Shim has uh, been very, very creative and is doing you know daily Facebook Live sessions and has come up with a way that he can sell VIP uh, tickets mm. on Friday nights where he will... Uh, I don't know how many of these VIP tickets he's selling, but they're 25, 30, 40, 50 bucks or something like that a pop. Wow, that's nice. And so he sells the ticket, which basically they get a code uh, for a Zoom meeting or I don't know what platform he's on or Twitch or what have you. And uh, and so it's a private link where these VIP people can come in and write a song with him. Oh, wow. And so, you know, and he's doing some of this with just his Facebook live videos. Well, he'll, you know, play a couple of, you know, notes on the guitar, a couple of bars of, uh, 
of music and say, what do you think? What do you, type of emotion do you guys get out of this? Give me a line and somebody will message, uh, how about this line? He'll go, okay, okay that's kind of cool. I'm going to write that one down. And then here's another line. I'm going to write that down. And he'll put them together. Mm-hmm. And by the end of a two-hour session, all of a sudden he's got a song that was completely crowdsourced yeah. that he can turn around and sell. Yeah. What a brilliant... <laughs> yeah, that's very smart. Very amazing. You know, it's interesting is... And maybe I was kind of curious and I was thinking about why it seems like most established bands, bands later in their career, um, you know, bands from the 80s and 90s, I I don't think that they really take advantage of all the social media stuff. You know, they're maybe still out there and they're, and they're still performing and, you know, and doing you know, making a decent living, maybe a great living, I don't know, on, you know, let's say some band from the 90s, I don't know, whatever band. Dawkins? Well, yeah, okay, let's say oh, Dawkins. Yeah, okay, we can even say Doc. I don't know what Dawkins is up to, but right. they have all this stuff now that, okay, met you, they could be doing, you know, they could have a hire a guy that's constantly producing YouTube com- content for yeah. them behind the scenes and throwing that up there. And, or Goo Goo uh, Dolls. Yeah, or- whatever. If, like if they're touring, let's say if they're on a bus, well, one dude cruises the bus with them the whole time and is filming. And then popping up videos every single day of like what they're up to in the bus or what, you know what I mean? Just kind of like a vlog, like whatever. Like, so that, and also, like I said, maybe the, maybe once a week they do something Facebook live and, you know, to, to keep interaction. Cause I think, you know, what everything is now with the younger generation that is already into, you know, I guess the biggest one would be probably gaming, but what all these younger people are into is, you know, the, and the YouTubers and the gamers and whoever else I'm trying to think the live streamers, you know, it's almost more about having that relationship and constantly interacting with your audience, which they, they, I think it, some of it might have to do with the, uh, the uh, narcissistic abilities of the talent of the individual. Right. I yeah, mean, that's true. Are, are they, did, did they get into music um, because they needed an attaboy or because they needed to be recognized or they get into music because they just did it for themselves and oh my God, the other people, you know, were attracted to it. Right. So I'm, I'm sure that that drives a lot of it. And I've seen some smart bands like nothing more is doing exactly what you're saying. You know, they're in the process of writing a new record right now and there's uh, and they, they have a special club, a special group that you can join that will daily give you behind the scenes of here's what we're doing in the studio today and video vlogs and this, that, and the other. So it, it is happening, but not to a huge degree. And I, and I have not seen a lot of the nineties bands embrace much of that. Yeah. And maybe, um, you know, maybe they're already established. They don't feel like they need to do it. You know, maybe they're not, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what ends in people's minds, barely just mine. Right. But other yeah. people, I don't know what's going on with other people. I just, I just thought that there's a, the, actually the only band that I've seen recently that takes the most advantage of it was actually Duran Duran on uh, Facebook. They posted a ton of content constantly on really? Facebook. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I'm a huge yeah. fan. Yeah, I am too. I don't really, I don't even know if I, I had changed my Facebook page. So I'll maybe not uh, some personal reasons we changed our, our pages around. So I barely have like any friends on there and I don't have any groups, but that's why I probably kind of lost track with them. But when I, oh, my other one, I had it and like, huh. you know, they were always posting where they're at, what they're up to. Somebody's new book is out or what, you know, they're in concert somewhere. We're going to be here, you know, Hey, we're going to be at Coachella this weekend or whatever. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really smart on there and, you know, really take advantage of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about branding yeah. and, and making those touches. Right. Exactly. 
So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think about what else is going on in the music. You know, do you think, personally, what do you, I mean, do you think that the, that the music business is something to get into these days or only get into it if you're just completely passionate about it? That's like everything for you. Yeah, uh, man. Um, you know, there's a reason why they call it starving artist, right? Right. Um, I, if if somebody w- wants to get into the music business, I would say, what part of the business do you like, or are you an artist? That's you know, if you're an artist, continue to to crank out your art. Um, and again, the cream will rise to the top. I think it's important to know if you are onto something, and and put your focus in that. And it's also important to know when what you're doing isn't making a connection, stop throwing so much energy into it, just like anything else in right. life. Right. Yeah. Like you and I had the discussion about, you know, making videos on YouTube and what videos have performed the best, you know, continue to do more of that style. Right. If they're not performing, stop wasting time and energy and effort on it. Right. Yeah. But I, it's, it's, uh, it's a ter- it's, it's a rocky business. You know, and it's going to continue to ebb and flow and and change in the coming decades, right? Right. Yeah. Um, And and the radio business is uh, I I could not recommend it at all unless you want to get into the sales side of things. I think there will always be spots for radio sales, but as far as programming and talent, it's a uh, it's a dying breed. Interesting. Yeah. It's really, you know. um, I guess the most I would I listen to actually more now talk radio than I do music radio mm-hmm. but you know even like on talk radio and mostly i and lately it's just it's probably more sports radio but it seems like that those guys seem to switch up more often than anybody else the djs yeah. you know the, the talk radio hosts i guess that's the word i'm like well the hosts kind <laughs> yeah. of you know i you know I, you know I, there's not a lot of sports going on in fact i i do a uh a sort of sports report every single day but there's not a lot of there's nothing to say. Yeah, I think the biggest thing now is that Michael Jackson. I mean, Michael Michael Jordan, Jordan. movie. Yeah, that that movie that you know, you always that's pretty much all the action you see that's on my news feed online is yeah. something about happened in that documentary. Well, and the NFL uh, released their uh, their their game plays, you know, yesterday too. So mm-hmm. there is hope on the on the horizon. I know that uh, the Miami Dolphins have decided to uh, well, they've come up with a plan to be able to sell 15,000 tickets uh, in spaced seats in an arena that holds 65,000. Uh, so 15,000 tickets for the games, uh, all the food ordering or beer ordering you do on your mobile device, and it's either delivered right there to your chair. There will be security that will escort you to your seat. Wow. <laughs> so people aren't, you know, g- g- gathering in large groups. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that's interesting i heard a sports radio dj said one time that and i don't know which sport i think it was football that they said that they make so much money from the tv deals it's far and far beyond what they get you know people in the seats that the people in the seats doesn't even matter that amount of revenue is nothing pennies compared to the tv deals and and in the way (laughs) That's and they don't even care about jacking the prices for the seats because it's almost like they don't care. You know, I mean, I, I, that's not them saying it. That's kind of my opinion or my interpretation of it. It's like they don't even care 
who cares if they come or not? We just need another people, enough people to make it look good on TV. Yeah. So we're just going to, you know, we're going to, you know, they can just totally jack the prices, concessions, everything, because what difference does it make? That's not really our bread and butter. It's television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't know, man. There's, there, there's a lot of marketing dollars out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, man. Well, I'm not going to keep you go keep you here forever. I know you've got to get on the air. I appreciate I you very, very much for uh, taking your time and being with me on my first podcast. By of the course. way, for you guys that know here, Jave has another. He has a YouTube channel called Two Dudes Reviews, and he yes. reviews alcohol, cigars, food, all the finer things in life. And music, a lot, of, a lot of music on there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Music artists. So um, please check him out on YouTube. Please subscribe to him on YouTube. And I'm going to try to get him and the other dude. And sometimes they even have two hot chicks. So I'm going to try to get the <laughs> four of us together soon and do some type of alcohol review. Beer. That would bourbon. be awesome. Uh, we, we would love to do that. And by the way, it bears mention that it's D-O-O-D-S. If you go and do a YouTube search for Two Dudes Reviews, for whatever reason, Two Doors Reviews, I think, comes up first. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, that's a, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was a problem we had of the nucleus, and then all of a sudden we got too far down the road to change it, and it's just mm-hmm. like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, make sure to give them a make sure to subscribe to them. You're going to see some very interesting stuff there. And um, that's it, man. I mean, I can't thank you enough for being with me. I really appreciate it. Right on, brother. Good catching up and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. All right. See you later.